If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome, everybody, to Dragon Quest FM, where we talk about and obsess over Dragon Quest. I'm Austin. And I'm here. And here is actually BJ. It is. And this week, we're talking about translation and localization in Dragon Quest games. It's a bit of a touchy subject uh, with (laughs) some fans. That's what I was about to say. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that we're going to either get uh, lots of hate mail or uh, lose fans on this one just because everybody has a different opinion on it and everyone uh, is intense about their opinion on it. Yeah, for sure. Like I I compared it a while back. I compared it to like putting my hand in a bear trap. Yeah, because let's put our hand in that bear trap. Because you can't please everybody. You know, you put your hand in trying to talk about translation the bear trap closes in and no matter what, we're going to lose a few fingers today. <laughs> yep. 100%. It's uh, we're absolutely going to. And so right now at the start of the episode, I'm counting and I have all 10 fingers. Uh, we'll see right. how many I end up with before the episode ends today. But this all really goes back even to the earliest Dragon Quest games with Dragon Warrior 1, 2, 3, 4 over here in the West. Right. And a lot of those early games uh, people talked in uh, in like the old English, I guess, not quite like Middle English. That kind Ages of uh, uh, yeah, that kind of Elizabethan Shakespearean kind of these and thous. What people want, uh, what people want to think that people sounded like in in that, like the ye old stuff. It was it's pretty annoying. Yeah, and so there there was the old English style in those early games, and I should probably go ahead and mention today that a lot of our translation stuff, we're pulling it from a few different places, and one of them is actually a, a Polygon interview with Yuji Hori, uh, which we're going to be referencing several times in this episode, including here, because he was asked about it. Yuji right. Hori was like, you know, asked about the old English style, and he said, uh, this is a direct quote from Yuji Hori, by the way. He said, in all honesty, I actually didn't know what they were doing at that time. My initial response was why? And then please stop. <laughs> <laughs> like I had read that, but for some reason you reading it out loud, that's when it caught me. The please stop caught me just whenever uh, you said it out loud. Yeah, and so so for all of those people, including me and you, who don't really like the old English uh, dialogue in those early games, turns out Yuji Hori doesn't like it either and didn't even know about it at the time. And I'm assuming that the reason the remakes and remasters still have that old English style, like for the Switch ports and the mobile ports and all, right. are just because they don't want to pay for a new translation of it. I actually hate it more in the mobile and switch ports than I do if I boot up the old original ones. It for some reason it feels so awkward in the new ones. I guess it's because I'm so used to current RPGs 
that whenever I'm expecting something with the more modern uh, sensibilities and more modern translations that it gets to that. And I'm like, Ooh, why, why'd y'all do this one? Ugh. I mean, yeah. I mean, I have to assume that it's for cost reasons, why they've never, especially since Yuji Hori said he asked them to stop. I, I have to assume because of cost is why they've never gone back and, and created different dialogue and speech in those early games like that. And I have no idea personally, like somebody will probably message us about it, but I have no idea how much of a difference there is in the original versus like the mobile ports, like if it is a different script or not. Yeah, uh, so I've noticed differences between Dragon Warrior and Dragon Quest. Those are the two I've played like between the NES and the mobile Switch versions. And I've noticed differences uh, with like uh, locations, like the names of locations and, and enemies like monster names. And things have changed uh, based on based on kind of what they've been called after Yuji Hori got more involved with localization, which I, I know we're right. kind of jumping ahead for just a second there. But but so some so there are differences, yeah, definitely between Dragon Warrior and Dragon Quest. But I'm just not sure, like the the in terms of dialogue and all. I guess they kept the dialogue mostly the same, but they updated locations and monster names. Okay, uh, I got you. To, to reflect, like, I guess what you would call, like, new canon, I guess, for lack <laughs> yeah. of a better term. Uh, so, yeah, so there are script changes, but for some reason, it's mostly minor things. It's like, it's locations and monsters are, ma- are most of the differences I noticed. Okay. Since then, since those very early Dragon Warrior games, uh, it's been this weird contention with a lot of fans. People either think the translations stray way too far, from a direct translation, when these localization teams come in, they think it just, you know, it, it's way too off from a direct translation, and these people prefer direct translations, or they just prefer certain translations or translators over others. Right. One thing that I guess we should mention is just about like the process of translating, okay? Yeah. Because w- with localization and everything, it's not, th- there's a difference between localizing something and directly translating it. Absolutely. I think you have to look at those factors. Well, this is something that I actually ran into when I was teaching a bunch, is having to teach different translations of the same text and trying to explain to students that translation is really a dirty process. Like, it's hard. And the idea of translation and localization is so abstract that you have to, and I know I've mentioned it on here before too, that there are two ways to do it. There is a word-for-word translation, which a lot of people I know prefer or want with Dragon Quest, but sometimes there's not a direct translation or that it doesn't make sense given the culture or it doesn't make sense given the context of how it's put together, if it's too idiomatic or slang where you might have someone uh, localize it. And the idea of localization here being that they take the the theme and the feeling and the point of the scene and create something new that gets the spirit of what was there and then uses that as opposed to a direct translation. Uh, this comes up a lot among adaptation as well, where you're looking at like the Harry Potter books uh, to the movies or the Lord of the Rings books to the movies, where you have to recognize that they're two separate media 
that uh, the medium of film and books are different. They allow for different things and they're honestly going toward two different audiences. And you have to consider that with translation as well, that the direct translation of Gilgamesh is going to be different than a readable translation of Gilgamesh for modern audiences. And so the same thing happens with Dragon Quest where you either get a direct translation, which is probably going to be more awkwardly worded. It's going to have phrases that don't necessarily work in English. And it's not even so much a syntax because of course the syntax is different, the word order, but the actual like meaning of those words, if you're going for direct may not make sense where you're going to need a localized uh, translation that that gets the idea across better and that tends to succeed more than a direct translation does uh, and that's one of the reasons i think that 11 works so well is that it walks a really nice line from what i've seen people say who've played both in making sure that they capture what the game is without straying too far but also without being exact word for word translation speaking of like being contentious within the fandom and all with that kind of stuff is that, you know, there were, there were some fans who were not very pleased with some of the uh, Japanese to English versions of things in Dragon Quest 11. I haven't seen a lot about that, but uh, explain to me because I actually haven't run across that too, too terribly much. Okay. Well, I mean, it's basic. it's in this polygon interview. <laughs> TLDR is basically just uh, the name changes for some characters from Japanese to English. What What is their thoughts behind this? And Yuji Hori, along with some of the other producers, uh, are talking about how a lot of it comes from, from cultural things where a name gives off a certain impression in Japanese that it, that name would not give off that impression in English. So they had to change some things around. Right. And that... I, I like stuff like that. I much prefer that where it's going to feel like what the author wanted it to be as opposed to being exactly what it is and lose the original intent. Yeah, and there's there's nothing... It's not a completely like new concept, and it's also not just to Dragon Quest no. in terms of people looking at translators very harshly. Like, if, if anyone's ever taken like a journalism class or a... Uh, like accents and dialects class, any acting classes or anything, uh, it may have come up. There's like the the old Italian phrase that, that people say, "trudator, traditor." Have you I've heard, heard that? I've heard it, before? but I actually, I don't actually know much about that one. Which basically just means the translator is trait translator trader. The translator is a trader oh. because <laughs> because no matter how you when you're translating stuff, it's never going to like fully convey the like authorial intent yeah. there. No matter no matter what, because you have to take in like, you know, cultural differences and things like that, dialect differences when you're doing it. And so so, I mean, you know, it's nothing new if it's if it's common enough that people literally have a phrase that they say right. <laughs> calling translators traitors, then I mean, it just it goes to show that like this is this is nothing new and it's nothing that's purely uh, just within the Dragon Quest fandom. There's always yep. a fine line between you know translation localization and just completely you can't make everybody happy <laughs> no i mean even i mean that just the idea of lost in translation and like the bill murray movie being about that 
lost in translation. I mean, that is, that's a thing where you do lose something, but I'm definitely of the mindset that you also gain something in translation as well, that it only adds to the art when you do something. Like I really, I haven't read much of, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting his name, Haruki Murakami. This is something that comes up a lot with uh, Haruki Murakami, a Japanese author, uh, where I've read his running memoir, what I talk about when I talk about running, and I know that it's super different from what it actually says in the Japanese. And I know his, his novels are like that because they're very specifically written in Japanese and that he has worked closely with translators to make sure that that uh, is still portrayed, but can't be done in English. Like what he does with the Japanese language can't be done in English. And so I think that both of those together put the uh, art higher than it would be one or the other. And I think Dragon Quest and things like that are the same way where like, I love that Dragon Quest has more of a goofy Uh, identity in the United States and West with stuff like Jake in Dragon Quest, the Builders 2 being kind of like, the sub, dude? I like that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely on the side of the translators here. Like, I'm happy with the translations we've gotten of Dragon Quest games. And I understand that there's a lot of work that goes into it. And I'm very, like, I really respect all of the, like, localization teams and stuff that go into doing this. I don't necessarily have, like, a preference or anything. I definitely I definitely think that the, like, post-Dragon Warrior 7 stuff, which I know we're going to talk about after the break, but just the post-Dragon Warrior 7 stuff, where they kind of worked to unify all the names and right. terms and stuff a little bit better, I definitely prefer those newer ones because I think they just, I think they run smoother and I think it's good to have a unifying, these unifying mechanics like that. Um, and I think maybe like Enix and Enix USA back in the nineties uh, didn't necessarily have like a, like, okay, this is what these are always going to be called thing. Yeah. And speaking of Enix USA, that's actually a perfect segue for our next topic is actually recently, a couple weeks ago, I got to interview Nob. Agasawara. I hope I'm saying his last name right. If I didn't, I'm really sorry. But he actually was the official translator for several Dragon Warrior games, uh, the Game Boy Color Dragon Warrior games, Dragon Warrior Monsters 2, uh, the both versions of that. He translated those games for Enix USA. He also did uh, the Tornico, The Last Hope on PS1. Mm-hmm. And he started the Dragon Quest 4 translation for PS1 before all of that got nixed. Yep. Super cool. I'm so glad that he agreed to do this interview. It's much easier to interview him through writing and DMing each other on Twitter than having him on the show today or anything like that. But I did want to at least mention it because this guy, he's translated so much stuff. If you're a Pokemon fan, he pretty much translated every Pokemon game between the first ones that came out in the US all the way up until like 2009, I guess. So he's done a whole lot of Pokemon games. And a number of these Dragon Quest, Dragon Warrior games. And so through that interview, he really was able to shine a light on some of the kind of things that have been like, I guess, debated about within the Dragon Quest fandom in terms of like, okay, how far did we get in the, in Dragon Quest 4 PS1 translation? Right. Why is it Lodo instead of Roto or Urdric kind of thing? And so people kind of had ideas. There's been speculations. And so it was really good to just 
get that all directly from him. And that was really cool. But also just, it was some nice insights with Enix USA, just kind of like, you know, it really seemed like it was very much a shoestring operation. Like at one point in the interview, he's talking about how he, he broke his left arm, I believe, uh, when he was like in the middle of translating the Tornico game mm-hmm. and Enix in Japan, they didn't want to overdo their budget and they were just like, you know, cancel this project. But he was trying to, you know, to get it finished and he broke his left arm, but he was having to work on this deadline. And so we actually got his kids to help him translate uh, the game. There's just cool little stories like that that I think are really interesting. And we're totally going to link to that interview uh, in the episode notes so that you guys can can read about that too. But I think it just kind of goes to show that Enix, at for a certain point, it was like they had the early NES Dragon Warrior games, and those were kind of their own thing. And it was also in the earliest stages of video games where, like... You know, you play games from the 90s and typos are a lot more prevalent, like a lot mm-hmm. more, a lot more work and detail goes into video games now than they're used to. Yeah, that's what I was about to say, is that the the polish that comes from the video games industry has changed a lot since then, especially coming uh, from Japan to America it's become a much uh, cleaner and uh, more taken more seriously in terms of the operations. Yeah, and then you have and then you have Enix who got Knob to to translate the Dragon Warrior uh, one, two, and three for Game Boy Color, and it wasn't just take this version from the NES and put it in here. It was like you know translate it yourself kind of thing. I think it's interesting too because one of the questions I asked him was about Tornico because you know he was called Taloon, right? Then he was Tornico with Tornico's Last Hope, and then in later renditions, then he became Tornico. Taloon and Taloon was his surname instead. And so they like melded those both together. And I think I've mentioned that on the show before too. And yeah. so I think all of that is just interesting because up until up until Dragon Warrior 7 on PS1, that was kind of like the 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 line in the sand there is you had, you had Dragon Warrior 7 and all the games before it where they were going through like different localizations, different translators, all of that kind of stuff. And then you had starting with Dragon Dragon Quest 8, you had, you know, the series started being called Dragon Quest, all the names, they started trying to unify them, you know, the skills, spells, monsters, locations, all of this stuff, they were trying to put it under this, like, unifying, everything had the same name, like, new canon, right? Are you there? Oh, yeah, I was just listening. I thought that was a, I thought that was a rhetorical, right? And then, (laughs) moving on. Okay, so... We're going to talk about Dragon Warrior 7, all sorts of more localization translation stuff. But first, I think it's the perfect time for a little shameless self-promotion. Shameless, all right, shameless rule, want your cash. Shame, shameless. So, I liked that song. Um, <laughs> not sure what else to say about it. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Uh, we do have a Patreon page, and you can get all sorts of cool stuff like stickers, mugs, access to Press Start Digital Magazine. A new issue just came out there the other day. Uh, we started experimenting with Lens from the Patreon app. Uh, I tried to take some cool video and photo of me going through. I got a Dragon Quest die, uh, the V Jump issue, 
and it comes with a cool shiny die card. And I was trying to take some shots of that using lens and I think it worked, (laughs) 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 but uh, I mean, I mean, it showed up. It's just lens is something that you and I have never really experimented with before, but it seemed like a good, a good way to kind of interact with people without having to like record a, you know, 20 minute mini sode or, or doing something like that. It was a good way to just say, Hey, check out this cool stuff I've got, especially for people who maybe aren't on Twitter, who don't see me tweet that stuff out regularly or anything. And we're not sure if it notifies y'all on the Patreon app or anything like that when there is a lens. So let us know. I can't actually find anything on that because it shows up in the app and I believe you can see it on the desktop site or maybe the mobile site. Uh, Like I said, it's kind of like stories, but we don't know how to use it a lot. (laughs) Exactly. So we're going in blind and so are y'all. Yay! We're also doing a Dragon Quest VII play-along that we haven't mentioned in a few episodes, but it's getting about that time where we're going to be doing episodes on it. So instead of hearing me and BJ tell you guys all about it again, we're going to get our good friends Todd and Alenzia from the Nerdberg Review to tell you guys about it, since they're doing it with us as well. Hello, everybody. We are going to interrupt your currently listening to podcast to bring you a little bit of a blurb from, well, us. We are from the Nerdberg Review Podcast. My name is Alinzia, and with me is my brother, Todd. Hi, and we want to talk to you about the Dragon Quest VII play-along. Well, Todd, I thought that Dragon Quest VII was a single-player game. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Alinzia, because it actually is. But we are teaming up with Dragon Quest FM to try to get everybody to kind of play Dragon Quest VII at the same time during these next few months and you'll be playing it by yourself but the idea is a whole bunch of us in the community will be playing it too so you can tweet for example you can tweet at dragon quest fm or you can tweet at nerdberg review or preferably tweet at both any thoughts or opinions you have on the game as you're playing it you know you have you say oh i love this character tweet that at us and then we can say oh yeah we love them too, or whatever. And we can have a little discussion about the game as we're playing. Because even though we're on different, in different parts of the world and everything, it's fun to talk about our, our video games with our friends. And all of our listeners are our friends. So we invite you to play the game with us and then have a discussion about it online. And in a couple of months, the Dragon Quest FM podcast is going to do an episode, or several episodes, I imagine, deep diving into Dragon Quest 7 and it'll be fun to listen to those episodes after you've just finished playing the game so you'll know what they're talking about and Alinzi and I are going to talk about Dragon Quest 7 and maybe 11 but we're going to do some kind of Dragon Quest podcast of our own and you should come listen to our episode too and we'll all talk about Dragon Quest things together and it'll be awesome check it out play a lot of Dragon Quest 7 and take a listen to obviously you're already listening to Dragon Quest FM And also, we would appreciate it if you would hop over and also listen to our podcast, The Nerdberg Review. Oh, Lindsay, what is The Nerdberg Review about? (laughs) Nerdberg Review is where my brother and I, Todd and I, like to just kind of get together weekly and chat about what video games we've been playing. So we would love to have you come and listen to us and give us your thoughts. And now, back to Austin and Beej. 
All right, and we're back. So let's talk about, since they were talking about Dragon Quest Seven during that little promo, that's what we're actually going to be talking about. So in, in that interview uh, with Nob, there was actually some like Dragon Warrior Seven info that I didn't know about. I knew that it had kind of had a little bit of like a tumultuous production, I guess, yeah. behind the scenes. And I just didn't know like to what extent. So Nob had a lot of that good info as well. Basically, it just seemed like... I guess Heartbeat Studio, uh, who we've mentioned before on the uh, podcast, they they were in charge of doing this. They weren't going to get the contract for Dragon Quest VIII. And so uh, I kind of like I mentioned like a year ago or more, you know, there were graphic problems with Dragon Warrior Seven. Right. A lot of people complained because it looked super outdated for a PS1 game that came out in like 2000. And so there was just a lot of issues. There was a lot of behind the scenes stuff happening. And then... Paul Handelman, who we've mentioned before, he's mentioned in that interview with Nob as well. Uh, he came in, he worked for Enix America uh, for a while. Uh, he was actually the president of the company, I believe. And then after the, the merger and everything happened, uh, he went on to, to work at a number of other companies. But so he's, he's kind of with uh, Enix USA through a number of games. And then I guess based on this Polygon interview, it seems like Yuji Hori got a lot more involved with localization. Right. Around Dragon Quest VIII, it seems like it was like there for a while, it was like the major stuff had to be approved by somebody. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't Yuji Hori necessarily, but somebody at least higher up had to approve like monster names and things like that. But some some translators like Nob were kind of free to just do whatever they want. Like he was able to name some of the monsters in Dragon Quest monsters without any pushback. And so I think, I think with Dragon Quest eight, after the merger and everything, people kind of focused more on, on unifying everything. And that's where you get a lot of differences. And one of the big contentions here that we're going to talk about that's really noticeable is with Dragon Warrior seven and Dragon Quest seven. Okay. Right. Dragon Warrior seven came out in 2000. Lots of characters had different names. Places had different names. There's a lot of differences. And then you had, Dragon Quest Seven, which came out in 3DS, I think in 2016 was when it when it was localized I in the think West. So yeah, it, it came out a number of years before that in Japan. But you had you had differences. So you had things like he's Gabo in Dragon Warrior Seven, he's Rough in Dragon Quest Seven, and it kind of goes back to what Yuji Hori is saying about culture and everything is because he's Gabo because that's how Japanese perceive the sound a dog makes, right? Yep. And so they changed it to rough for American audiences. So it totally makes sense. And I think that Dragon Warrior 7, because I've been playing Dragon Warrior 7, the PS1 version, on uh, as part of this DQ7 play-along stuff. And I think, I think that's one of the things is that it is, maybe the Dragon Warrior 7 is more of a direct translation, mm -hmm. but Dragon Quest, Quest 7 on 3DS is a better localization if that makes sense dragon warrior 7 is a better direct translation while dragon quest 7 is a better localization yeah and that's the kind of thing that i like better i prefer a better localization where the joke for rough translates into what it is where if i had no idea that gabo was the japanese onomatopoeia for a dog sound it would just be that's the dude's name it's like why yeah. this guy name himself gabo I don't know. And so whenever it's uh, it's rough, it's like, ah, ah, 
That's he's a dog. <laughs> See what you did there. I wouldn't get that otherwise. So I like that kind of thing. But I don't think that that diminishes anything from the original. The original still exists and people can play it if they want. Yeah. Some of the differences are just the, the good old L and R stuff. You know, you have Mervin and yep. and uh, Melvin. Melvin. Yeah. Thank you. I was like, it's not, I was kept trying to say Marlin. I was like, it's not Marlin. Spit it out, Austin. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. So some of it is is just, you know, minor differences like that. But I think a lot of it just has, you have to look at it in terms of, okay, do you want a direct translation of this or do you want a localization? And personally, I prefer a more localized version. Even if it means some of that translator trader stuff happens, right? It's like if it's a better understanding for me as a Westerner, I, I'm okay with. It. Yeah, and I mean, in your notes, you talk about the uh, like when Yuji Hori got more involved. It's when we got a lot more of that. We got a lot more of the more localized stuff as opposed to the direct stuff. Yeah. So this kind of brings us, I guess, to uh, to kind of going into our like third base final round discussion. Ooh, we're this. going to third base <laughs> is, is that like, why, why do fans get mad about translation localization? Because I know, you know, maybe anybody that's looked at our Twitter account in the past knows that just about any time we, we speak about different translation stuff, there's always some people quick to defend the old. Right. And, there's also some people who are quick to defend the new, call it flame wars or whatever you want, but it is kind of this this weird contention in the fandom. Like you you wouldn't think necessarily that that translation would be such a hot button issue, but but it really is. And for me, going back to kind of the the Dragon Quest 7 stuff is I, I kind of get it because if if I'd played a game 6 for 16 years, 2000 to 2016, if that character had been known as Gabo for me for 16 years, and then all of a sudden that character had a new name like Ruff, I could see myself being a little irked about it as well. Yeah, I mean, I understand from the perspective of players who were 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 there originally, who played the game, that's what the character's name is. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've seen people who, when they renamed her Aerith, for the Final Fantasy VII remake, uh, be like, no, her name's Eris. That's what I grew up with. But then you have people like me who, when I found out that it was changed, it was, uh, you know, it was that I'm like, okay, that's what I'll call her. And then you have stuff. I also have like the fan translation of Final Fantasy V, where his name was Butts, B-U-T-Z, but his real name is Bartz, B-A-R-T-Z. I rename him Butts every time and it's because that's what i started with i know what his name is and also his name is butts <laughs> <laughs> you know it's the thing is going back to yuji hori is like he is has admitted to being more involved now yeah and, and so it's kind of like it's one of those george lucas star wars situations right is that do you go with the creator do you go with what the creator says is canon now right. or do you go with what you grew up knowing is canon? Like like the whole Greedo shot first thing. Yeah. Is that, do you say Greedo shot first and that his name is rough now? Or do you go with like the 
creator's original vision that Han shot first and that his name is Gabo. And I'm I'm a Han shot first person. Like I am too. <laughs> I mean, I, I really am through all of this. And part of it is, is not even that George Lucas says that it's different because I understand why he changed it. I totally get that you don't want one of your characters, this hero, to flat out murder somebody. That you want it to be a self-defense thing. You want it to be he's not the one instigating this that you want to show, well, even though he's kind of a, a rough character, <laughs> rough character, uh, that he's not just going to straight up shoot somebody and burn their body with a blaster. I get that change, but also at the same time, that's the character I want. I want that rougher Han Solo as opposed to one who is going to uh, only be it in defense. Like I like that character better. So I headcanon that as still being the one that I prefer. And that's what I get with uh, Gabo and Ruff for people. It's like, you know what? I want the Japanese sound of the name, and that's fine. It's uh, it's just different. Yeah. So funny story real quick about the whole Greedo Han shot first kind of thing. When I was younger, my aunt, I guess she had like, you, you remember those like VHS machines you could buy where you could like copy tapes? Oh, yeah. She had one of those. And this was before the special editions that yeah. came out in the 90s. She made like bootleg copies of her Star Wars movies. Yep. Still got mine in the uh, other room there that my parents dubbed off like that. Yep. And I wonder to this day, I need to just flat out ask her if she like what she did, if she scuffed it, if like she was using a version that edited it or what. But for whatever reason, during that scene, um, I guess she thought maybe it was too violent for my brother and me because I mean we were pretty young. Um, at the time but she so in that scene when they're talking the screen goes like black for a minute uh. like the, the movie stops for a minute and then Greedo is just like fried and dead on the table and Han like you know walks up and huh. like leaves so for the longest time the versions that I remember growing up with is there's always like a just like a black screen for just like a second and a half during that part. And to this day, like watching those movies on like Blu-ray and everything, yeah. a little part of me expects the screen to go black for about a second and a half because that was like the first version of that movie that I watched and grew up watching. I mean, I totally get it. Like I, that's the way that I am with a lot of movies too. It's like, I remember what this scene's like. I, I remember specifically watching the edited version of Terminator 2 where whenever I watch the unedited version, it's like, oh, there are extra scenes in this now. Cool, director's cut. And it's like, no, that's the movie. It's not the one that aired on ABC that you taped off when uh, when, you were, <laughs> when you were little. It's uh, I get it. I totally understand that. For me, it's it's weird because I'm kind of I'm kind of opposing views. Yeah, I know. Me too. Because because honestly, I like the name Rough better than Gabo because of what it's trying to convey. Yep rough makes more sense to me for a Western audience. But at the same time, I really don't like a lot of the changes that George Lucas put into Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are some that I do like. I mean, I honestly think that the that the change of putting Anakin as Hayden Christensen at the end as a force ghost makes more sense in terms of the narrative than him being Sebastian Shaw as the older man. Although there's a paper somewhere in there writing about why it would be Sebastian Shaw because of his having been redeemed as an older person 
uh, than than being the younger one. But there's a whole lot there. But yeah, I mean, I get why these changes have been made and these retcons were made. But I also love seeing the original more too. So yeah, well, I guess the takeaway from this entire episode, for me at least, is that I don't need two dozen do-backs walking around in front of the screen in Mos Eisley. Um, no, thank you, George Lucas. Okay, but what about the Ronto that's that's pulling the guy up who can't control With the little, it? And the Jawa, like, dangles yep. from him? Like, oh, TV. Yep, I no, love I don't need that either. No, 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 you need that. But I do have one question for you about this on one of the changes that I ended up really liking uh, that Jennifer and I were talking about the other day. What do you feel about the change in Empire Strikes Back for, I think it was the Blu-ray release, it might have been the DVD release, uh, when he replaced the original voice of Boba Fett with Tamira Morrison's, where it was like the, uh, where he was like, I can't remember the word, the line now, but where Vader told him no disintegrations and all that, he changed all of Boba Fett's uh, voiceover work to uh, Tamira Morrison doing it. I am indifferent to that change, actually. Because while Boba Fett is cool and all, he's still minor enough in that movie that it doesn't really affect anything. And you know what? I'm just going to say it. Boba Fett is like the most overrated Star Wars character. Kind of like, I'm going to bring us back to Dragon Quest. Kind of like Dragon Quest Eight is the most overrated <laughs> Dragon Quest game. <laughs> now I'm just going to anger the Star Wars fans and the Dragon yeah, Quest Yeah, it's fans. true. But, That's all but, this is. Like, you're sticking your hand in the bear trap, buddy. That's, that's true. I have two fingers now. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You started I out with 10. Eight. <laughs> you, you're, you're, you've lost eight at this point. Yep. But really, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. It's that do you go with kind of what Yuji Hori says is like canon now and what he approves for localization now and stuff? Or do you look at how it was when you were younger playing it? And And I get it, you know? I mean, just like in my mind, Han is always going to shoot first. Or actually, there's always going to be one and a half seconds of blackness. <laughs> but, but, you know, Han that's blacks gonna... out. That's the entire thing. Han blacks out and doesn't know what he's doing. It, it's <laughs> he all, he bleeds insanity. Murders Greedo, he murders Greedo during a blackout. <laughs> yep, that's it. That's what happened. <laughs> and then, and then in Force Awakens, when Kylo kills him and Han has that look of horror, it's because he suddenly remembers. He's like, oh my God, I shot Greedo. Yep, his, his life flashes before his eyes and it's like, no, I killed the Rodian. <laughs> and then he just falls. Yeah. yeah. So this somehow really <laughs> just like went off into a weird Star Wars discussion. But I think the na- the analogy there is still pretty solid. Right. I do too. And in the end, I think that they both have a place that both translations and localizations and visions of remakes have a place in the in the canon as as what they are as artifacts of their time when they were released that I don't think one's existence diminishes the other because you can yeah. always play the other one or watch the other one where Han shoots first or that his name is Gabo or, you know, that you have Roto uh, and Lodo and all of that. To me, it's just play whichever one you like. <laughs> yeah, really. We want people to have fun. That was that's the whole thing. Like when I started podcasting back in 2016, uh, Void and I started doing this because we got tired of the angry video game nerd podcasts and the channels where everything was negative. And all of this, the last like 40 minutes of us doing this is to say, play what you want and enjoy yourself. That's really what Yuji Hori wants you to do. 
So again, we're going to link to a Polygon interview with Yuji Hori, where you can read up a lot about Yuji Hori's involvement with the localization process and all of this stuff. Also going to link to my interview uh, with uh, Nob Agasawara. Again, I hope I said his name right. I Sorry if I didn't. So we're going to link to all that stuff. So if you're interested in just reading about all this stuff directly, you can totally do that. It's going to be in the show notes from today. Either way, thank you guys for listening. This was actually a pretty fun discussion. Remember, you can talk to us more on Twitter at DragonQuestFM. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash DragonQuestFM. If you want to talk to me directly, you can totally do that. I am on Twitter at DragonQuestin. Also check out my other podcast. It's called JRPGs and Me. And there's actually a new episode of that up this week where I'm talking about the first Star Ocean game, mostly focusing on Star Ocean First Departure R, the remaster of a remake of the original game. Yes. Be sure to listen to all that good stuff. Okay, since I haven't listened to that episode before we go, I have to ask you one question. Did yeah. you beat the final boss? Yeah, I beat Star Ocean. Okay, because I stopped at the final boss because he was so hard and I didn't want to grind up. And so I was curious because the game is fantastic. And if y'all haven't played it, go do it and then listen to this uh, episode. But I just wanted to know about that. Yeah, I, I mentioned it in the episode. I don't just I didn't say that it's the boss because I try to be fairly spoiler free. But I did mention that there there's two or three times where the difficulty spikes and you really have to sit down and grind for a few hours. Yep. How a lot of the backtracking and grinding is just it's basically an excuse to turn an eight hour game into like a 25 hour game, 20 hour game. That's true. Anyway, you can talk to me as at Professor Beege on Twitter. You can listen to my other podcast, the Geek to Geek podcast on geek2geekcast.com. And you can join our Slack and our Discord at geek2geekmedia.com. And you can also check out patreon.com uh, slash geek2geekcast uh, to see our new digital magazine. Uh, that also, if you subscribe to the Dragon Quest FM Patreon, you get through the end of the year. We think you will absolutely enjoy it. Come and be our friend. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye, y'all.